Like we have troubles so many times. Things creep up on us. Students, they're in school, and then before they know it, like it's the end of the school year, they're excited, but parents are, oh, no, summer. And then it's the end of the summer, and the students are depressed, and then the parents are happy that the kids are back in school again. And it just goes on like that. We're, we're surprised by birthdays. They creep up on us. The anniversaries, if you're not careful, you can miss one of those. And we're now nine days into December. And as always, it kind of snuck up on us. But even though December sneaks up on us, there's one thing that doesn't. And it's very tough to honestly say that Christmas sneaks up on us. You'll hear some news reporter back in October, and they'll say, oh, 100 shopping days till Christmas. And then even before the end of October, I saw some Christmas decorations, and there were some things, Christmas-type things, that were for sale in stores. So Christmas is everywhere. You couldn't miss it if you wanted to. But you know something? This year, just like every year, there will be people who may not miss the day or the event, but they will miss the truth, the experience, and the wonder of Christmas. And I don't want you to be part of that number. So in this series of messages that we're doing from now up until Christmas, we're going to imagine what it was like the night before Jesus was born in a number of different cities and locales in Israel. And we're going to see what it was like in Rome. We're going to see what was going through the minds of the people in Jerusalem. We're going to look at Bethlehem and wonder, like, did these people even realize that this special baby was born? Or did they miss it altogether? And I always come up with most of the ideas for the messages, and then I just go to James, our associate, and I say, give us a neat title for this series. So he came up with Season's Feelings instead of season's greetings. But we're going to see the feelings of the people in each of these areas prior to the birth of Jesus. Now for us, the night before Christmas is different. It's a night of joy, a night of expectation, a night of celebration. We're looking forward to our Christmas Eve services here at our church. Parents are excited about the true meaning of Christmas and what we're celebrating Children, they're going to have a sleepless night leading up to Christmas Day. So for the Christian, the day before Christmas should be a time of great anticipation. But the night before that first Christmas wasn't really like that. So I did this with the first service, and they did very well, so I trust that you guys can as well. But I'm going to ask you to stand and responsibly read our scripture here this morning. It's a familiar scripture, but it's in a newer translation, so don't look away and and forget the words. And I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to get you started and just listen to you guys quote this scripture together. Thank you. Very good. Have a seat, please. I forgot to warn you about Quirinius, so you'd be ready for that when you came to it. So today I want us to think about the night before Christmas in Rome, because it was the most important the most powerful and the largest city of that day. And it was a place where decisions were made and laws were dreamt up just over lunch conversations. And Rome was quite significant 2,022 years ago. 
So if God was going to leave heaven and move into the neighborhood, you'd think that the city of Rome would be a natural choice. Like, what a great location for the gospel message to actually take root. It had these amazing big buildings. It had an amazing population destiny, cultural influence. It was all there in Rome. And if a marketing expert was to give God advice, they would say, look, God, you've got to have your son born in Rome. That's the place where he should go. So what did the people in Rome think the night before Jesus was born? In all honesty, they probably thought nothing. They, they, it wasn't even on their radar screen. Like Bethlehem wasn't influential, it wasn't powerful. And maybe the best word to describe the city of Rome that night was unaware. They were completely unaware of the fact that God was going to leave heaven and come and take up residency on earth. So there are three principles that the Romans had embraced which defined them and kept them unaware of how the world had changed on that first Christmas day. And sometimes we actually believe the same things that they did. So if we could change our core values and beliefs in these areas, we'll be ready to see Christmas for everything that it was intended to be. But first of all, Rome looked inward rather than outward. But why did they care about what happened in Bethlehem? Like, why should they? Like, maybe a few people had heard about this concept of the, a Messiah, but in Rome, they didn't believe stuff like that. They already had this strong leader. Like Augustus was right at the height of his power. The Roman Empire was subject to him. The Senate was loyal to him. He, he ruled with supreme power over the whole known world, that Roman world. But in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are too small to be among the army groups from Judah, from you will come one who will rule Israel for me. He comes from very old times, from days long ago. So why would Rome be thinking about this prophet's prediction that took place hundreds of years prior to this? Like, and, and why would they even care about this old wives' tale promise about the coming of the king of the Jews? Like, what could he offer to them? Like, they had everything. They had money. They had power. They had all the food that you would want to eat. They had everything. They had no idea that this new king was coming or that they even needed him. Like they were totally unaware. But those in Rome aren't the only ones who are unaware of the message of the Christmas story. And if we're not careful, you and I can be the same way. Like we're so consumed with ourselves rather than others. So in this age of social media, I like the way that Craig Groeschel sums it up. He said, so many people are living for likes while longing for love. Now, my daughter Shannon, is, she posts stuff on Facebook all the time, and, and she gets 40, 50 likes. But then after my cancer surgery and recovery, she would post a picture of me and something about me, and, and she would get two, 300 likes. Oh, Dad, I don't know why you get so many, and I don't. But sometimes we get likes like that. But 
it's not that we're bad people. It's just that we're distracted people. People who, at times, can be looking in the wrong direction. Like distracted driving, the experts say, is now the cause of one-third of all automobile accidents. And distracted living is also a serious problem. And the people of Rome are distracted. And like us, they can get caught up in their own little world, and they looked inward rather than outward or upward. See, we need to have a greater desire to be more aware of those around us and to be involved in their lives. But because you know that there are hurting people that work with you, some of them are probably right there in the specific area that you work in. You know that there are lonely kids in your school. You know that there are discouraged people in your neighborhood. We need to be more aware of the needs around us especially in the midst of all the distractions that we face every year at Christmas. So the citizens of Rome are self-centered. They're preoccupied with their important lives, their powerful kingdom, their leader, and they don't care about the prophecies of this Messiah that is supposed to be born. But this one to be born in a matter of a few hours would be very different because the scriptures tell us he rules the world with truth and grace. So you think you already have everything, but when you think about it, he is the one that we need the most. He is the one who is the ruler worth following. Now you'll notice the detail that Luke goes to here in presenting this story. He defines the truth, and he notes that Caesar Augustus' authority actually stretches over the entire Roman world. This guy was the nephew of Julius Caesar. But in a few verses, he, we're going to see the angels announcing the birth of the Son of God. Now, I realize that most of you know the real meaning of Christmas, and you get upset when somebody says holiday season instead of Christmas season. But do we really know what's going on when Jesus comes? Are we really aware of what it means to have this new king in our lives instead of looking to ourselves? Are we ready to receive him? Or are we so caught up in everything we want that we actually don't have any place for him in our lives? There's a second belief that the Romans embraced, and that was the fact that they believed they had everything that they need it. It's hard for us to imagine the power of the Roman Empire and what that was like. Like this was the most advanced culture of their day. They had the best military, they had the most money, they had the most enjoyable and structured society. They were up to date on all the trends and advancements. What else did they need? Now here's some insight into Caesar Augustus. It's reported that when he was on his deathbed, he said this. He said, I found Rome brick, but I leave it marble. So that gives you an idea of the ego of this man and the sentiments embraced by all Romans. And they brag about their work. They would brag about their accomplishments. Now, I appreciate hard work, and I respect it, and I love it when someone has a youth unique talent for the Lord, and they use that for him. But God wants to point out that there's still another ingredient that can bring about success, 
And that's what we find in James chapter 1, verse 16. My dear brothers and sisters, do not be fooled about this. Every good action and every perfect gift is from God. These good gifts come down from the creator of the sun, moon, and stars, who does not change like their shifting shadows. So God plays a role in anything good that happens in your life. And you might say, well, I kind of did things my own way here. But maybe you did, but God played a big part in that. Like Frank Sinatra made the song famous, I Did It My Way. And his daughter, Tina, in her book, wrote this about her father. She said, he spent his whole life looking on the outside for what he was missing on the inside. So when a person says, I don't need Jesus, what they really mean is, I don't want Jesus. I don't want Jesus in my life. I don't want him there because he's going to cramp my style at the party at work. He's going to cramp my style in the way I approach my finances. He's going to cramp my style in the way I view my relationships and my marriage. But it's important to realize that Jesus will influence all those areas if you are a Christ follower. And that's what signing up for this meant. Like we said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to be one of your followers. I don't want to just have a little piece of you in me. I want you to be my master and my Lord. Like over the years, my wife Pat and I have had a lot of people stay in our home Everything from visiting missionaries to people speaking, like guest speakers. And then we've had a lot of relatives. We've had people with friends or family members in the hospital. And they've stayed with us overnight. And then boyfriends and sons-in-law-to-be. And the list just goes on and on. And when they come and stay in our house, we show them the room that they'll be sleeping in. We show them around, give them some tips on how to turn the hot water tap in the shower the opposite way because a left-handed plumber put those pipes in. And then, and then I'll say this, and you can complete this for me. Our home is... Yeah, but I don't mean it. And, <laughs> and you don't mean it when you say it because if you... Here, like around midnight, you hear all this noise in the kitchen. And this guy staying in your house is clanging around in the cupboards, trying to find something to eat and putting a meal together. And then the next morning, you don't want to wake up and see some guy in your sock and underwear drawer. Like, like hey, my, I hide my toonies in there so my wife can't find them. Get out of that drawer. Now I've got to hide them somewhere else. But, uh, and then you don't want to go down to the kitchen in the morning and find this woman somehow getting onto your online banking. And she's there. She says, I'm just checking to see how you spend your money. Like, we say our home is your home, but we don't mean it. And we say to Jesus Christ, come in, like, come and be the master of my life. But many times, deep down, we don't really mean it. We say, you know what? There are actually certain areas of my life that I don't want you involved in, Lord. It's kind of hands-off in those areas. I don't want you to be in charge of my bank account. I don't want you to 
have control of the remote control. I don't want you to have control of my dating life. I don't want you to stick your nose in my business. But when you choose Jesus as the Lord of your life, he became the master, and you gave up all the rights to those things. You said, I will follow you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Like, that's the God that we serve. So there's a paradox here. If you feel you need something more than Jesus, you'll never be satisfied. But if you feel that Jesus is all you need, then he'll become all that you want. So Rome, they looked inward rather than outward or upward. And it believed that it had everything that it needed. But the third thing they believed mistakenly was that power is stronger than love. From their perspective, they thought, like, what could be more powerful than our army? Like, what could be weaker than a defenseless baby? But God's ways aren't our ways. And he uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and the powerful. And Rome, they thought that power was stronger than love. Maybe that's why decades later, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Romans. And he basically hammered home time and again the theme that God's love is stronger than any power. Here's part of it in Romans 8. Yes, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruling spirits, nothing new, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is no human power that is going to be able to defeat that power. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Like two or three decades before the birth of Christ, a couple of leading poets actually mentioned the term eternal city in reference to Rome, and then the others kind of caught on to that. But it actually mirrored how they felt as Romans, because back then it, Rome was so powerful that they believed no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens to other countries in the world, or empires, they might rise, they might fall, but Rome will go on forever. Like, that's how they felt. Now, are you defined by one, or, or maybe two, or maybe even three of these different beliefs that the Romans embraced? Do they ever define how you approach life? If you told them, that a baby born in a stable, a baby placed in a manger was going to s defeat sin, they would have thought, like, that's the most foolish thing I I've ever heard. They were just unaware. They were oblivious to their need to have a spiritual Messiah instead of a military king. So it was the, no accident that the Roman world needed what only this baby could offer. Now, it's quite common for us to be unaware of our need for a Savior because the world's always trying to change our image, like to improve it, to increase our followers, to enhance our opinion and our appearance. But Jesus, 
He came to transform us from the inside out, to erase our sins. So people will ask, well, why didn't Jesus just forgive all of us regardless of what we believe? And the answer to that is, for God to just forgive everyone in sweeping fashion would be like a weak judge turning loose the most evil of criminals. Justice demands payment. And so you have to accept God's free gift that he made possible on Calvary by putting your trust in him. The scriptures tell us that there were thousands of angels that were just poised and ready to come and rescue Jesus. And they were just waiting for him to mumble something from his lips. Okay, guys, now's the time. Like, they were ready to come into action, to intervene on his behalf. But they didn't. And as one of the criminals being crucified beside Jesus said, like, aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. Ken Geyer, you're probably familiar with this, but he said, if only Jesus would save himself and us. But Jesus knows something that the man hanging next to him doesn't. He knows he can choose one or the other. He can't, he can, excuse me, he can save himself or he can save us, but he can't do both. And he knew that. He had to stay on that cross. So that's why Jesus' death on the cross is referred to as an atoning sacrifice for us. He died in our place. He came to take away our sins. And all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we keep reading that forgiveness of sins can't come without the shedding of blood. And Jesus knew that he had to be a perfect sacrifice in order to pay for all the mistakes that I've made and that I will ever make, in order to pay for all the mistakes that you've made and will ever make. And God's timing is perfect. I like what Paul said in Galatians 4. It is the same for us. We were once like children, slaves to the useless rules of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son who was born of a woman and lived under the law. God this did this so he could buy freedom for those who were under the law and so we could become his children. So it says, but the right time came. Other scripture translations will say at just the right moment. So once again, God's ways and his plans, they don't make sense to us. But this is no accident. And while Rome is totally unaware of what's going on, God is very much aware of their needs, and he is unfolding his plan. Back when I was playing my last year of junior A hockey, so I was 20 years old at this time, I was in one of the final playoff games, and I checked this guy really hard. It was clean. And his stick kind of came down over my head, and I thought, well, that's just kind of a reflex action from me checking him. But then a few minutes later, I checked the same guy really hard into the boards, and then his stick hit me on the head again. And I'm a little slow, but I thought, well, I think he meant to do that. I don't think that was an accident. He did that on purpose. And, and the crucifixion of Christ must have appeared 
to be the end for the disciples, they must have thought, oh, we're back to square one again. Like, no Messiah. We're going to have to start searching all over again to find this Messiah. They had heard his sermons, all the miracles, all the other building blocks just kind of seemed to crumble when Jesus was placed on that cross. And after the order was given for his crucifixion, and he said those final words, it is finished. But this wasn't a demolition project. In reality, what was going on was a construction project, and it was carefully engineered by the God of the universe in order to save the world. See, God specializes in taking those things that Satan intends for bad, and he turns them into something for good. So when the Roman soldier gave the order, crucify him, and on the authority of Rome they carry that out, it seems like it's the end. But Jesus could have come down off that cross, and while the Roman government was convinced that their power was stronger than love, Jesus knew that it was the other way around, and that love kept him on the cross. And it's the difference that gives us the understanding that when it comes to the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We realize the point here. We realize that God did this on purpose. God the Father and God the Son, they knew what they were doing when Jesus came into this Roman world as a baby and he was placed in that wooden manger. God the Father and God the Son knew what they were doing when Jesus stayed on that wooden cross even though he could have so easily come down off of it. And every drop of blood that he shed was leading to the freedom that we experience today. He was paying for your forgiveness. He was paying for my forgiveness. But it's only if we swallow our pride. It's not blanket coverage for everyone in the world. We have to make Jesus our Lord and Savior. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we just want to thank you so much for your presence in our lives. And Father, we thank you for this reminder that there is no amount of cultural or political or military or any kind of power that can compete with yours because that was shown through Jesus Christ and the love that he displayed in going to that cross. Father, we're just asking that our lives would reflect and represent that same love of Jesus so that there will be a love that comes from us, a, a power that enables us to love the world like never before. So just guide us, Father. Like just take us through this Christmas season, understanding the true meaning of Christmas, understanding ways in which we can share this message with others so that they too would understand the power and the love that he displayed in going to that cross and staying on that cross. We just pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I would say that some of you here today came in and you're totally unaware and maybe didn't know the reason for which Jesus came to this earth. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but now you have come to understand that and you want to welcome him into your heart. 
we give you that opportunity. You can come talk to me in the front row as we sing, or you can talk to me afterwards. Contact me through the week. But don't let that opportunity to really understand who Jesus is and make him a part of your life go by.